Well, good morning, everybody. This is unusual. It's a little different, isn't it? And welcome to our first live stream uh, of the uh, forced incarceration we're enduring. Uh, for those of you who are joining us, our church service for the first time, we welcome you. And uh, now you know why I'm on radio, because God has given me a face for radio and not TV. So bear with me. And I uh, just want to let you know, though, as we uh, before we get going, that uh, we'd like to go live this Wednesday at 7 o'clock. So uh, same way you're doing it now. Uh, we'll go live at 7, and we will uh, possibly have a, a three or four songs uh, that we will put up on the screen, and then uh, I'm going to be continuing in my study of, of Jude. So come on, uh, join us on Wednesday. And right now, guys, we, uh, uh, you know, in light of all that's going on the last couple of weeks, of course, everyone knows what's been happening. Uh, and for our first live stream, I want to start with a little series uh, that focuses on three things that are essential for life especially when we're facing the kind of crisis we're facing right now or any adversity in our lives, these things are essential. And the three ingredients, and I'm calling this message the life's essential ingredients, the three ingredients are peace, hope, and love. Now, before we go any further, let me say that all three are rooted in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And apart from him are only cheap knockoffs, in other words, counterfeits of the world. Let me explain what I mean. First of all, I'd like to start with peace. The Bible talks about three kinds of peace. Two of them come from our relationship with God. And the third is a peace that comes from the world. Let me start with the first peace I want to talk about. It's what is called peace with God. If you turn to Romans chapter 5, just briefly, quickly. Romans chapter 5. Looking at verse 1, where Paul the Apostle said, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now guys, God's word teaches us that we were born into this world as children of Adam, separated from God through the fall and at enmity with him, in other words, rebels at war with God, having the wrath of God, or in other words, judgment abiding on us. The Bible teaches that at one time God also considered us his enemies. In other words, he was at enmity with fallen men as well. Now, let me just stop here and say this. Yes, there are a lot of people who go through life determined not to bow to God's will in their lives. That's true. They're at war with God. They know it. Uh, you know, it's, they're not hiding it. Uh, basically, they're mad at him for some tragedy or disappointment they blame him for. But most people don't even know that they are at war with God. They would say, I I've never been at war with God. I, I like God. <laughs> and as proof of their like or love for God, they point to how you know religious they are. What they don't realize is that religion is another form of rebellion against God the very rebellion the Jewish people embraced and manifested toward God through their devotion to Judaism, which is a religion, of course, while having rejected Jesus as their Savior and King. Now, Paul talked about this in Romans chapter 10. You don't have to turn it. I'll just read it to you. He said in verses 1 to 3, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. 
For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. In other words, the Jewish people embraced Judaism when God only intended it to point them to the coming Messiah, Jesus. And at that point, it was to be abandoned. And the Jesus and the new covenant was to be embraced because he's the only way uh, that can get us to heaven. But uh, they clung to the old religion. And uh, as such, they still sought to uh, be righteous before God by the works of the law. And uh, so Paul is saying that, you know, not only is that wrong, it's, uh, it's sinful. It really is an abomination because they're rejecting Christ, the only one who can get them to heaven, Jesus, and embracing man's efforts and works and religious duties and, uh, and, and services and things like that. My, my point is that a person can be very religious and still be at war with God. So returning to the point I was making, the Bible presents a picture of God and man with their backs toward each other, signifying the enmity both had for one another. But then Jesus died on the cross for sinners. And at that moment, God's righteousness was satisfied because sin had now been paid for. The result was that God turned and faced man, who still, by the way, had his back toward God in stubborn rebellion. But when Jesus hung on that cross and said, it is finished, bowed his head and dismissed his spirit. At that moment, God turned toward man with his hands extended, inviting us to come to him for forgiveness and fellowship. When a person accepts God's offer of forgiveness and comes to Jesus for salvation, that person is forgiven, saved, and now in perfect fellowship with God. Imagine, if you will, God and man now face to face in blessed communion, oneness with each other. Guys, this is what Paul meant in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, when he said, having been justified by faith, in other words, now that we're saved, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the war is now over. We have laid down our hostility toward God and his commandments, surrendered our lives to him in obedience as his servants, and in return he has forgiven, uh, forgiven us and adopted us into his family. Now, peace with God is essential if we're going to experience the second kind of peace the Bible talks about for a child of God. And for that, I want you to turn to Philippians chapter 4, while I ask the folks in my house not to talk anymore, because I can hear them very clearly, okay? All right, Philippians chapter 4. We'll look at the second kind of peace the Bible talks about for the child of God. Philippians 4, starting with verse 6, Paul said, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And listen, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Guys, let me say this. Peace with God is objective, whereas the peace of God is subjective. In Romans 5, verse 1, when, ta when Paul talks about us having peace with God when we receive Jesus as our Savior, 
In the Greek, it's in the present tense, which means something that exists right now. In other words, it isn't a piece, you know, we're waiting for in the future or down the road at some point. It's a peace that is ours right now from the moment we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. When I say that peace with God is objective, not subjective, I mean it's not based on feelings. Feelings, of course, are up and down depending uh, on our circumstance at the moment. But this peace, peace with God, is based on objective truth. The objective truth that we have entered into a relationship with Jesus based on faith, a relationship which the Bible says is eternal and never changing. However, the peace of God is subjective. And because of where we are in our walk with God at any given moment, it's a peace that, you know, can come and go. Now, let me put that thought on hold for a minute and come back to it because this is the peace, peace with God, uh, excuse me, the peace of God, that we as Christians at this moment in our lives are most concerned about having. Very important, and I want to focus on that in greater detail. But let me just stop and talk about the third piece for a moment. And that is the peace that comes from the world. Jesus talked about the peace he gives in contrast to the peace that comes from the world. He talked about it to his disciples in the upper room the night before his crucifixion. We read about this in John 14, verse 27, where Jesus said, Peace I leave with you, my peace. And I've got that <laughs> underlined. My peace I give to you. The peace of God is what he's talking about. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So what is this peace the world gives? Well, it has, takes different forms, but primarily, and I'll just speak in, in, in general terms, primarily it is an artificial peace that comes through alcohol and drugs. As I said a couple of days ago in a church update I sent out, I understand why people drink alcohol and take pills to calm them, to calm their nerves during stressful times, even to the point of committing suicide to escape painful circumstances. I understand it, even though I don't agree with it. I understand because people can't live in a perpetual state of stress, anxiety, worry, and fear. And of course, in our situation, fear of the uncertainty of the future. They can't live in a perpetual state of stress, anxiety, worry, and fear without having a nervous breakdown at some point. In other words, they can't live for very long without peace. And so they will eventually and inevitably seek peace through artificial means. You know, they will grab for it by seeking to medicate themselves with pills and or alcohol. Now, this may bring some initial peace, quote unquote. It's a false peace uh, due to escapism and uh, numbing themselves to reality. But this so-called peace will ultimately lead them into dependency to that drug and ultimately into bondage, addiction, where the cure then becomes worse than the problem they're facing. That happens all the time. And we see Satan pushing this false or pseudo-peace on many people, trying to encourage them to drown their sorrows or their fears or whatever else they're going through with alcohol or through drugs. And, uh, of course, that eventually pushes them to a point where they either uh, commit suicide or... The alcohol or the drugs kill them. 
And that's what Satan's all about. He has come to steal, kill, and destroy. Whereas the peace that comes from Jesus, listen, is real, lasting, and liberating. It's a true peace the world knows nothing about because it's a supernatural peace that comes directly from God. And as Paul said in Philippians 4 verse 7, as such it surpasses human comprehension. Look, the peace of God is a peace that only a child of God can experience because it's a peace that comes from God as an attribute of his divine nature. The only way a person can experience any attribute of God in their life, and of course the attributes of God would be, think of the fruit of the Spirit, which are an expression of his attributes, all right? But the only way a person can experience any attribute of God in their life is to have God's nature planted within them. And that only happens when they receive Jesus into their heart as their Savior, and the Holy Spirit moves in, which is what it means to be born again or born of the Spirit. At that moment, Peter tells us in 2 Peter 1 verse 4, they become partakers of God's divine nature. Now, with that in mind, now you understand what Jesus meant in John 16 verse 33 when he said, These things I have spoken to you that in me, that's a term of salvation, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. Now notice that Jesus didn't promise that he would give us peace by taking away all the problems and pain in life. He promised to give us supernatural peace, listen, during or in the midst of the trials and tribulations of life that we would experience in this world. It kind of reminds me of something I heard years ago uh, about a contest uh, that I think was in Albuquerque where they um, posed a contest to artists uh, that um, the artist that could, that could best capture the concept of peace would win this contest. And so uh, I think the, uh, it was the, the number two, second runner-up, uh, this artist depicted a picture of a beautiful meadow on a summer day. Sun was shining, uh, there was no wind blowing, you could see everything was still and calm, and, and uh, everything was just really a, a deer off to the side, grazing peacefully on the grass. And that was uh, the uh, second place prize. First place went to an artist that depicted a scene where you saw the uh, ocean and, uh, and a, a mountain uh, coming up out of the ocean, but it was dark and a, a clap of, of lightning in the background and wind was blowing and the waves were crashing. And it was just this incredible turmoil in the midst of this storm that was going on. And if you look closely, you could see in the cleft of the rock, a little bird fast asleep. That is the kind of peace that God gives to his people. He doesn't promise us that our lives would be free of storms. He promises us, us, though, to be with us during the storm. And if we will trust in him, his peace, which passes human comprehension, would guard our hearts and minds through Christ, through our relationship with Jesus. Now, look, as we begin to wrap things up, I have never seen in my 64 years of life anything like the panic and the quarantines going on right now through this coronavirus outbreak. And because of the scope of this outbreak, having now become a worldwide pandemic, I have to believe that God has allowed this for his divine 
purposes. Nothing can happen on this scale. Nothing can happen no matter what without God allowing it, but especially on a worldwide scale. Uh, the scope of what is going on to me says God is somehow allowing this for his purposes. Now, look, I know that some people would say, well, how, I don't understand that. Why would God allow this for his purposes? What could he possibly have in mind through this whole worldwide pandemic? Well, let me just say this. My pastor used to say, when you can't understand in a given, when you can't understand God in a given situation, you must fall back on what you do understand about God. And let me just say this before we go on. God did not bring sickness into the world. That, was, that came through sin. This is not the world God wanted us to live in. So we can't blame sickness, disease, pandemics on God. They are the result of man's sins, but God will use them for his ultimate purposes when it suits his purposes. But I want to say this, because either times like this can make us bitter or they can make us better. It all depends on how we handle it. And let me just tell you that the Bible says that when anything comes our way, here's the way we are to handle it. Paul said it in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 18. He admonished us, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you who are Christians. Notice that Paul says, in everything, not for everything, give thanks. So a lot of things that I can't thank God for, but I can always thank God in the adversity, knowing that he's on the throne and that all things are working together for my good because I'm a child of God. But let me just say this. You won't thank God in everything until you first learn to trust God in everything. And trusting God in everything won't be possible unless you believe three things about him. First of all, that God is sovereign. God is sovereign. Sometimes we say, look, don't panic. God is on the throne. What that means is that we believe in the sovereignty of God. And that means that not only is God aware of everything that touches my life, it further means that he is in absolute control of everything that touches my life. And that means he is all powerful when it comes to the circumstances of my life. Look, again, we just mentioned it. Nothing happens in my life, your life, except what God allows for his purposes. Romans 8.28 is the classic verse on this. And we know that all things, all things, not some things or most things, all things, work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, folks, it doesn't say we see all things working together for our good. It says we know it by faith because of what God has told us in his word. Now, the fact that God is sovereign, which means or includes the idea that he is all-powerful, that wouldn't come for me in times of difficulty or adversity if I didn't believe the second truth, and that is that God is a loving God who loves me unconditionally and you. You see, if God was all-powerful but a cruel despot, well, uh, that wouldn't comfort me. It would terrify me. The fact that God is all-powerful and at the same time is all-loving is a tremendous comfort to me and should be to you as well. Look, God loves us with all of his heart, and he proved it on Calvary. Paul said in Romans 5 verse 8, but God, God demonstrates his own love toward us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ 
died for us. If you ever doubt the love of God for you, just look at the cross. Because Paul the Apostle says that should forever settle any doubt you have whether or not God loves you. Of course he loves you. He died for you. That's how much he loves you. But the Bible clearly teaches that God's sovereignty and his love always work together for my ultimate good and yours as well. I have to believe that by faith because my circumstances don't always show me that this is true. The devil is always trying to get me to judge the love and goodness of God by my circumstances. Because if he can get my eyes off of God's word and what God has revealed about himself in his word, if Satan can get me to look away from God's word and try to judge his goodness and love for me based on my circumstances, Satan has got me exactly where he wants me. Because then he can sow all kinds of doubt in my heart as to whether God really loves me, whether or not he's really a good God. And that's only a short distance away from then turning my heart uh, completely away from God, where God is now my enemy. Don't fall into that trap. Satan uses that very effectively. But listen, these two truths, that God is sovereign, which means he's all-powerful, and that God is all-loving, a God who loves me with all his heart unconditionally, still wouldn't be enough to comfort me in times of great adversity if I didn't believe one more thing about God, and that is that God is infinitely wise. I mean, even if God is all-powerful and all-loving, if he wasn't very wise, well, he could still lead my life over a cliff, you might say, by leading me in the wrong path for my life. It's knowing that God is all-wise and all-powerful and all-loving, that, that he's all-wise and all-powerful and all-loving, that solidifies my trust in him to lead me in the right paths and ultimately to the right place for my life. Look, God is so much wiser than I am. I mean, that truth I accept easily in principle, but sometimes not so well in practice. I mean, there's a, many things that God allows to happen in my life or in the lives of others that honestly, I really don't understand. I mean, I look at the situation and say to myself, you know, if I were God, I wouldn't have let that happen. Or if I were God, I wouldn't have done things that way. The problem is I'm not God. I'm not God. And neither are you. I can't see the big picture like God. I have only limited information of the situation. Now, that never seems to stop me from making judgments based on my limited understanding of a situation, judgments that often caused me to question the wisdom and ultimately the love and goodness of God. But Peter said, the problem with us is we only see what is near and not what is afar off. In other words, we can't see the future. We don't know what's coming down the road tomorrow or next week or next year, but God does. And I need to realize that God is often working in my life today, preparing me uh, today for what he knows this coming tomorrow, next week, next month, or even five years down the road. It doesn't make sense to me what God's doing right now, but it will in time, as God is often working today for the future. And I have to trust him with that in that regard. So guys, I have to trust God in you too. We have to trust in the sovereignty, the love, and the wisdom of God, because like a three-legged stool, these truths will, you know, hold us up 
when our circumstances try to knock us down. They will keep me going, keep you going, by strengthening us in our adversity. They will strengthen our faith in knowing that everything is working together for good in our lives. Our eternal good, not always our temporal comfort. We have to understand that. We tend to look at life from Earth's vantage point. God is always looking at our lives from heaven's viewpoint. Well, we want God to bless us by making things easy and, uh, and keeping us healthy and blessing us materially, that kind of thing. We have a tendency to want to lay up treasures on the earth. Uh, God is always working that we will lay up treasures in heaven. And if he has to sacrifice some earthly comfort right now to put us through a little adversity and so on to make us uh, uh, more um, successful in our, our ministry for him, that ultimately we would reap eternal rewards, he'll do that. He's all about, uh, you know, sacrificing earthly comforts to make, give us a better heaven, a better heavenly reward and so on. Let me just say this. I, I love what, uh, what uh, God said through uh, the prophet Jeremiah. It's one of my life verses, and I'll read it to you. You know it, I'm sure. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, where God says, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord. They're thoughts of, of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. In other words, when you're in a situation and you can't understand what God's doing, and everything around you is screaming God doesn't love you. God is not a good God. He is not looking out for you. You go to the Word and listen to what God says from Himself. Look, don't look at the circumstance. I know what I'm doing. You have to trust that I'm working everything together for your ultimate good. Trust me, I love you. I would never lie to you. I couldn't lie to you, God would say. But uh, I know what I'm doing. Trust me. Uh, I, the thoughts I have for you are peace. They're to give you a future and a hope, even though right now you may not understand it. Guys, as we close, let me just say this. This morning we find ourselves living in difficult times, uncharted territory, which not only affects us, but also our whole country and yes, even the world. Many people have lost their jobs due to this um, quarantine. Uh, some of these jobs will never come back as businesses will be forced to close for good. And I don't have to tell you, maybe you're one of those people. It's caused a great deal of stress uh, in your heart. On top of that, many in our own country are so empty and feel so hopeless. And folks, this was even before the coronavirus outbreak, okay? But so many in our country are so empty and feel so hope, uh, hopeless that they have turned to alcohol and especially to drugs like opioids to find some peace and escape, substances that are killing people in record numbers. We are living in a time when because of the uncertainty of the future, many people are experiencing a considerable amount of fear, anxiety, and stress, and even Christians are not immune. So what are we to do? Well, again, we must keep our eyes on our God and trust in his ability to take care of us and bring us through whatever storm of life we are facing and all the anxiety and stress that, you know, comes along with it. I love Isaiah 26, verse 3, where God said, or Isaiah said, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. You see, folks, that's the key. The key to experiencing this peace, and again, it's the peace of God, 
is that you have to keep your thoughts, in other words, your mind, fixed on God. How do we fix our thoughts on God? Well, by filling our minds with His Word. I love Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, the longest psalm, all about God's Word and how blessed it is and how much we need to cherish it and, and obey it. But in Psalm 119, I'll read verses 11 to 16, we read, The psalmist said, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. I will delight myself in your statutes. In other words, in your word. I will not forget your word. When your mind is constantly filled with God's word, your thoughts will be dominated by faith in God. As the Bible says in Romans 10 verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The kind of faith that is rooted in absolute confidence in his strength, his love, and his wisdom toward you. Again, I can understand alcoholism, drug abuse, and even suicide. I don't agree with them, but I can understand them because of the world we're living in. People need peace. And if it doesn't come naturally, which today is almost impossible, they will grab for it artificially. <laughs> I, excuse me. I recommend getting it supernaturally through Jesus Christ. Won't you receive him into your heart right now as your living Lord and Savior, if you haven't done so already? A simple prayer, Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that. I need you. I, I believe in you. I receive you into my heart right now as my Savior. Will you come in and take control of my life through your Holy Spirit? And I give my life to you from this moment on. Use me for your glory. A simple prayer just cried out to God with a, with a sincerity of heart is all you need to do. And then the peace of God will fill your heart, a peace this world can never understand because it comes through a relationship with God where Jesus is now living in your heart, a relationship of peace that now will guard your heart and mind. I want to close by just looking at verse, uh, excuse me, Psalm 46. If you turn there quickly, I'm not going to read the whole psalm, but uh, we'll read a portion of it, then we'll close in prayer. Psalm 46. Starting with verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, even though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though its waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with its swelling. Verse 7. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Jesus Christ is coming to establish his kingdom. And when he does, our problems are going to be over forever. That's what he's talking about. I'm going to, you know, hang in there right now. Trust me. Uh, you know, be still. Know that I'm God. I'm there for you. And I will get you through whatever you're going through. But I'm coming again. Jesus said, and I'm going to be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Until then, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. 
So something that we all need to take to heart, and especially, especially during times like these, where things are kind of scary, but uh, we trust our God is on the throne. He will see us through it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we just rely on your presence in our lives, your power, your love, your wisdom. And Lord, we just pray that you would protect us from this pestilence, not just the coronavirus, but Lord, uh, any pestilence that is uh, stalking the earth in these last days. And even if it's the common cold or seasonal flu, we just pray, Lord, that you would protect us, especially those among us uh, and our relatives who have compromised immune systems and uh, have other health issues that make them more susceptible to, uh, to uh, you know, dying from one of these diseases. Father, we ask that you would put your angels around us, that you would protect us from the, peril, the pestilence that stalks by day and night throughout the world. And Lord, we just give this time to you. This is a very unique time in history. Father, give us grace to embrace this uh, time. And, uh, but Lord, to allow you to use us in any way that you want to, to maybe be a light to those in darkness, those people who are not saved, who don't really know you, but are terrified maybe of, of this disease. That Lord, give us grace to be calm to be uh, just drawing close to you, that they would see in us a calmness and maybe ask us why we are so calm in the face of this um, pandemic. And we can tell them, well, God is with me. Uh, I have nothing to fear. And so, Lord, we uh, ask that you would continue to bless now our studies uh, as we live stream. And Father, we ask all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, folks, thank you. Sorry if uh, things were a little bit, uh, you know, uh, not professional. We're just doing our best, but uh, we thank you for tuning in. And uh, again, tune in again on Wednesday at seven o'clock as we will continue our study in the book of Jude. Until then, may God bless you and be with you and cause his grace to shine upon you. God bless you guys.